The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. Hello and welcome to the Doctor Who pod, the final episode of our second season. And it's our countdown episode, same as we did in season one, where Dan and I are going to run through our preferences of all the stories we've reviewed, I guess, in this second season, putting them in order and seeing how much we agree or disagree. And with me, as always, is the aforementioned Dan. How are we doing, mate? Got my head spinning. It took me so long to decide my order. And to the point where I literally I, I said, right, as soon as I get an order, I'm leaving it and I'm not looking back at it. And I've got it in front of me now. And I'm thinking, oh, if I just, maybe if I just move that up, move that down, I need to be stopping it. This is the, the it, this is in theory, the easiest podcast we do in a series. Yeah. But it, it it's not, it's the hardest because we've yeah. watched some absolute quality. So yeah, I'm fried. I've seen... We have seen some really, really good stuff, haven't we? Excuse me. I've got a bit of a tickly cough today, just for everyone, because I've got spluttering on the recording. I apologise in advance. But no, this season we have seen we've seen some really, really good stories, haven't we? And I had so much trouble picking my order, putting my my chart, I guess, into order to the point where I did the same as you. I put it in order and then I went away. But I did come back and I tinkered with it a bit more. And then I opened my laptop up to record this about quarter of an hour or so ago and i've been tinkering with it literally right up to when we started pressing record i was still moving things around as as recent as say five minutes ago (laughs) yeah well do you know it's it's i can believe it because i'm looking at it now and something like i'm not giving away where it is on my list because we'll get to it but something like happiness patrol Mm -hmm. that i know from an objective point of view is complete shit (laughs) But it was so entertaining, and mm-hmm. so and I found it so funny. I wanted to put it, I wanted to put it really high, but then I can't put it that high because I know it's crap. But it, it you know what, that dilemma that you get yeah. caught in, it's yeah, cra- I've got, it, it's brilliant. I think I've got a few that are quite low on my countdown purely because they're not bad, but other things are better. Yeah. So it's going to be a situation where we list certain things, I don't know, in like 12 or 13 or 10 or whatever. And it isn't that it's shite. It's just that there's nine stories better than it in, in our second season. It's the equivalent of, because we're going to rank them 1 to 14, it's the equivalent of coming 14th in the Premiership. Yes. It's not It's not a great ranking in terms of that league, but you're still the 14th placed out of 92 yeah. professional football teams, like fully professional league affiliated football teams. Yeah, that's the yeah. best way I can put it. <laughs> that is that's a good that's a good metaphor. That's good. I like that. So then, I suppose we will begin. Uh, we'll start off with our least favorite and run down to our favorite as normal. Um, what did we do last season, Dan? When 
say you for example would mention something that i had later on we cover it when it was first brought up wouldn't we i honestly can't remember i forgot to go back and listen to the episode <laughs> <laughs> um we'll just we'll just do what we normally do and just wing it yeah yeah we're good at that we're good at that yeah so then your least favorite on the doctor who pod season two your least favorite story at number 14 is what my friend it is peter davidson's the awakening ah okay it's it's one that i picked because i was curious to see you know what a two-parter in that era would look like and again in the grand scheme of things it wasn't awful but the only things i remember about it uh, the sort of the comedic giant face and it being very much we've escaped we've been captured we've escaped we've been captured we're going through these tunnels a couple of times for no apparent reason you know and, and things like that it was um yeah it just okay it's one of those where it's like like I said, it wasn't bad but i can't in good conscience put it ahead of anything else because the others all have at least you know, a bit more comedy or, you know, more, um, you know, better story elements and, you know, more, you know, the more poignant or in certain, like I mentioned with Happiness Patrol, it's obviously going to be ahead of this. They, ju- they just end up being funnier. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, Peter Davison and The Awakening, which is a shame because obviously we had um, Caves of Androzani in the first series. And that so ranks very uh, highly on both our charts, doesn't it? Yeah. So it's a, a dropping uh, drop form for... Uh, for Peter Davison going from the uh, the Champions League places to uh, to just above the relegation zone. <laughs> uh, for me, my 14th story is an, an earthly child. Now, if I was rating this on the very first episode alone, it would be much higher. That first episode was bloody brilliant. I loved it. Really, really enjoyed it. William Hartnell's The Doctor, uh, the, the whole unveiling of stuff. And again, it's just, it's what started the whole thing. And I really enjoy that first ever episode. However, we're looking at the story in its completion. The three parts that followed were just not for me. I, I don't think I'll ever go back and watch those again. But I think that was the, I say, I say on here at the start of the episode that we're not looking at things and saying that this is bad. It's just not as good as something else. This is the exception to the rule for me. Episodes two, three, and four, I think were actually just quite bad. Yeah, they weren't great. I think I've put a bit more star around the, uh, the history side of things to be okay. honest. Um, not, not too much. It's literally one, one space higher uh, than you <laughs> just not to jump ahead. But yeah, it was, it was good to see, but not one I'd, I mean, I'd sort of rush back to. It no. just wasn't a vast amount to it, was it? Again, the memorable bits are memorable because they're now humorous in hindsight, outside of the first episode. Mm. Um, and even then we had the whole issue of, uh, <laughs> of certain elements of episode one being a bit stalkery. And yeah. throughout the whole thing, just the how tedious the Doctor's interactions were with um, you know, with the, what's his name, uh, Ian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I can understand why it's the bottom because, like I say, it was only one space up for me. Yeah, Ian, I found quite irritating. The Doctor was a grumpy git. Barbara couldn't stay on her feet. Uh, we had all these again. It was just a case of similar to how you explained the Awakening. It was a case of we've escaped, we've been captured again. We've escaped, we've been captured again until we got to the point of we've escaped and this time we've gone away. It was just, again, the the very first episode, historic. I, I enjoy that. 
the rest of the cereal means that yeah, it's bottom for me, mate. Yeah, that's that's fair enough. Um, yeah, not not a whole lot more I can say about it. You know, but it's it's my th- it's my thirteenth place, and it's only there because of the history. Fair enough. What was your um, uh, what was your thirteenth? Well, it's literally an old switcheroo, my friend. My thirteenth is what you had bottom, the awakening. Uh, for right. a lot of the reasons that you explained, I enjoyed Peter Davidson as the Doctor more than I enjoyed William Hartnell. So maybe that helped flip it round a little bit. I'm a big yeah. Tegan fan as well. I enjoy Tegan, uh, and it was just I could watch it, and it was it was done and dusted. Whereas an unearthly child felt like it really dragged to me. Yeah, so that's understandable. These, these two were always going to be my bottom two. And it was just a case of which order I put them in. And I, I'd kind of go with the awakening because I could watch it from the beginning till the end and get a bit from it. Whereas on an earthy child, it really felt like it fell off a cliff for me after episode one. Mm. And like I say, that's, that's where I've maybe put a bit too much star by the history. Okay. But anyway, though, this is, this is a good thing about it. We, uh, that's what makes it interesting, you know, seeing what we've ranked where and, and the logic behind it. If, uh, cause I'll be honest, a couple of these, when we get into the sort of the middle section, I was very clear about what I wanted my bottom three to be and my top two. Right. When we, ha- when we have sort of 11 to 8 and 7 to 4, those respectively for mine could go in any order depending on the day of the week. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm very much the same. That kind of middle of the chart area is where I was rewriting over and over and over again the top yeah. few and bottom few were kind of locked in for me. I mean, they could interchange a little bit, I guess, but they were relatively locked in. I mean, I literally, just before we started recording, one of mine in the middle got dropped five places, which is a big drop. Wow. <laughs> but then I put it up again, another two. And that means other things were moving as well, literally just before we recorded, because it was so difficult to uh, assemble this list, I guess, Dan. See, when I was waiting to come into the studio and I saw that look of concentration and, and consternation and, and confusion. I just assumed you were negotiating a tricky fart. <laughs> no, I was trying to figure out how to send my daughter some data on her phone. Yeah. <laughs> that was incredibly complicated. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Peter Davidson and William Hartnell are gone. We have plenty of doctors and plenty of stories left. What do you have in 12th place? In 12th place, I've got Kablam with Jodie Whittaker. Really? Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, um, again, it, it's not bad. And now that I'm saying it out loud, I'm kind of, I feel like I'm maybe doing a couple of the characters a disservice because they had um, oh, what was a what was the young girl's name who was working in the um, in, the, in space in space Amazon? Yeah, Kira. Now that I'm saying it about out loud, I feel like I'm maybe doing a, a bit of a disservice to um, to Kira, who was a really well written character. And you know it was it was a good twist with the young lad being the villain, and Bradley Walsh. You know he's always quite likable, but it's it's still very forgettable. It's maybe it's maybe one that will improve over time. You know, like I said, how I look back on a lot of the Capaldi era now, and I look back on it with a great amount of fondness. Th- this might jump over time, but I just think I had a more fun watching everything else above it. Um, so it's kind of it's kind of in twelve by default, right? But now I look at the now I look at the two now I look at the two or three above it, and I'm thinking, well, it might jump up to nine. 
<laughs> no, but no I've, got, I've got to, I've got to lock it in. I've got to lock it in. Um, like like I say, it's it's not that it's awful. It's just not as good as what what comes after it. That's fair enough. I mean, I'll, I'll pass my thoughts on Kablam when I get to it a little bit further down my chart. But uh, my number twelve uh, is from Sylvester McCoy, and it's the Happiness Patrol. Fair enough. I can completely understand why that's as low as it is. But I mean, it's at one point this was in the bottom two, and then again it rose a few places. It's jumped up and down a little bit, but it reminds. I like the Happiness Patrol from the aspect of. I grew up with Sylvester McCoy as the doctor on television. I love Ace as the companion. She was the first companion I really watched because of my age and so on. But mm. we're going back and watching these stories and they're just not as great as I remember them being when I was like nine years old or whatever it may well be. However, so the loss of, sorry, sorry I was going to say it's kind of a, a loss of nostalgia factors. Yeah. Then. yeah of, I don't want to say it's shitting on your childhood, but. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I get you. I get you. And it, it's, I think we had some great characters in it. I mean, the whole concept of the story as well was was great that you, you have to be happy. If you're a killjoy, then you get sent off to for horrible things to happen to you. I think the idea behind it, the concept behind it is very clever. Mm. But the candy man, I can't get, can't get on board with. That was just a bit nonsense. <laughs> wasn't it? Uh, see, I'll, I'll explore it a bit more, but stuff like that, I look at the Happiness Patrol and see it in I just like you say the core concept is great and then it just goes batshit so I, I've given it more credit for for entertaining me okay. than, than necessarily how good it is but I'll I'll come to that. Yeah no fair enough fair enough. Uh number eleven then Dan and this we're entering now very much the territory of things going to change aren't we? <laughs> very, very much so because this was as high as Ninth on my list, and as low as as low as twelfth. Like I say, it's in that region, um, and it's uh, Terror of the Zygons. Tom Baker, right? Okay. Because as good as some of the effects were, and and this the story was was decent. It, I can't get over the space chihuahua. <laughs> I, I, I can't. I can't. I can't get over the Scarasan. Just how bad it was, and. Again, it's a little bit of that. We're going over here. Now we're back here for reasons. Now we're over here for reasons. Now we're back here for reasons. It was the thing is these. So my next sort of three picks, I'd say, are on par with each other. If I could give them joint ninth, yeah, and just skip ten and eleven, I would have done for a lot of the you know for for varying reasons. But yeah, I had to put Tom Baker down as one of the last ones because. Apart from the the, the space the, the melty space chihuahua, I didn't remember a right lot happening. You know, apart from you know the half decent effects and whatever. So again, it's it's the kablam thing of being a touch forgettable. Okay. By that one okay. aspect, and, and now that I'm thinking about it, some of the terrible green screen. Yeah, yeah, there is that. <laughs> Which wasn't even as good as Inferno. That was probably. 10, 11, 12 years before it. Yeah, man. Inferno was good. I might watch that again tonight. That was good. I really enjoyed that. In fact, that was my number one last season, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. So I'm interested to see where you put, um, uh, where you put Pertwee's episode this time around. Well, it's funny you should mention him, Dan, because at number 11, I have the planet of the Daleks. 
Oh, brilliant. I'm a genius. <laughs> I have Planet of the Daleks, yeah. It, again, it's another scenario with regards to the Happiness Patrol. The story itself, I think, was very good and what they were trying to do. But I just didn't... In, it's kind of lucked out because of how good other things are, I think. Planet of the Daleks, I enjoyed, just not as much as what comes above it, really. I find Joe at times a little bit too damsel in distress as well i'm not saying mm. that's her character in general but in this story she was very much damsel in distress and there were certain moments in the story that were just a little bit silly with regards to where things were put down and then ignored and then picked up again and you couldn't see this you could, just little plot holes that didn't quite make sense watching back in back-to-back episodes i guess dan and given that the some of the enemy creatures, the, the Spyridons, looked a little bit like Sully from Monsters, Inc.'s Nutsack. Yes, there was that. There was that. They didn't look great. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to get that line out, to be honest. No, but no, yeah, no, that's great. You'll be you'll be hearing about that from me very shortly, uh, to be honest, okay. Planet of the Daleks. But, I, uh, yeah, I can understand that completely. Like I said, I think yeah. it's, it's about on par with... Uh, we're just about similar because I'll just jump in straight into my number 10. Yes. Um, which is Happiness Patrol, Sylvester McCoy. I okay. couldn't in good conscience put it any higher than that. Like I said, I wanted, at one point it was like fourth or fifth just for the sheer amusement factor and how ridiculous really? it is. It, because it made me laugh. You know, you've, the whole, the core concept of the story is brilliant. And then everything around it goes completely batshit insane. Yeah, you've got the you've got the women patrolling around with the with the sci-fi dildo guns and the mad hair and the pink jackets, <laughs> just because you know, just because somebody has the nerve to to be a bit down for a moment. You've got the guy who communicates where he's the doctor by playing his harmonica. You've got um, Helen A, who's got the the angry like <laughs> like the angry like dog. Velociraptor thing. thing. <laughs> that creature that sets up. And then you've got the Candyman. Mm-hmm. You've got Bertie Bassett's inbred, hyper intelligent, murdery cousin. <laughs> and, but he's the creation of a scientist who casually commits and then discusses committing a genocide. Mm. Who then tries to run off with with you know with his mate? It was Helen. It was the ruler's fella, and just this it's just incredible. It, it like it, when I say incredible, I mean it's in like sort of beggar's belief kind of way. It's yeah it spans that it spans into that horror B movie element of being so bad. It's it's kind of good. Yeah, I wouldn't I introduce it. somebody to Doctor Who with it, but if you've introduced somebody to Doctor Who, and then you said right. Do you want to see just how fucking weird this can get? Have a look at this. <laughs> <laughs> you think, you know, the imagery, say, say the watcher. Sorry, go on. The imagery of the Candyman as well is something that even, you know, pretty much everyone is going to look at and go, oh, yeah, that's Bertie Bassett, straight away. Yeah. It's like copyright infringement almost. Mm-hmm. But it is just... It just made it just made me howl. Like I had to pause at some points, not to make notes, but just to just to get the belly laugh out. Because when you see, because when you notice as well, because the sight of the Candyman's funny, but then you notice his eyes are swirling around. 
Yeah. And then he speaks. And that voice is just oh. ridiculous, isn't it? It's it's like somebody kicked Bender from Future Armour in the balls. <laughs> After then, Bender's then, been on a Bender, hence the spinning eyes. <laughs> and, then, and then, like, just fed him helium. Mm. Uh, yeah, so McCoy Happiness Patrol's in 10. If I was if I was drunker or just been a bit more stupid, it'd have gone higher, but I, I, I couldn't do that to myself. I couldn't sell him a good reputation. <laughs> I was surprised that at one point you said you had it as high as, what was it, fourth or fifth, I think you said? I think it was fifth, but yeah, I was I was really tempted, partially because I thought, because I did think, genuinely think it was hysterical. And also, I just wanted to see your face. <laughs> well, I love the fact that you got so much enjoyment out of it, because I, I enjoyed it, but there was also the whole thing of the Candyman and other aspects that really took away from how much... If, if the Candyman wasn't in it, I wonder where we would have put this because the Candyman is the most ridiculous thing in that story. Let's be honest. But the whole people with fondant. Yeah, exactly. If if there was like <laughs> just a different monster that killed people, and it was more based upon the sort of I suppose polit- political commentary that they're making about you know getting told you have to behave a certain way and so on. I wonder mm. where it would have ranked in in I our chart think, then. I don't think I'd have liked it as much. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but then it's not, you know, I had no emotional attachment to uh, Sylvester McCoy's doctor. Mm. You know, I, I've not spent years been told that this is the absolute drizzling shit. You know, so I don't have that. I, I never had that preconceived notion of it. I, I've, I've read what a couple of, I've read one review that said it was awful and then found several that said it was brilliant. Yeah. So I came in with a real sort of neutral middle ground, just thinking, We'll see which side of the spectrum I fall on. And yeah, enjoyed it enough to put it 10th. Fair enough, mate. Fair enough. Uh, my number 10 is Vengeance on Varos with Colin Baker. Ooh. Now, I, I, I think Colin Baker sometimes, he obviously tries to play the Doctor in a different way. And there's a bit more edge, a bit more darkness, a bit more grumpiness and so on. Here, there are moments where he's almost... I wouldn't say comical because that's going far too far, but there are moments when he, he delivers, he feels more like the doctor in this story than in what we mm. saw in our first season. And the whole aspect of being told what to watch and being forced to work when, when you have the two, the couple in the, in like their little apartment watching on the television and mm. voting to decide whether the governor lives or dies and the doctor's there trying to rest just basically get some parts or some fuel or whatever to, to sort of recharge the TARDIS I, I enjoyed this a great deal I would rather it gets to a stage where with this chart now now we're going into our sort of top 10 I based a lot of my selections on what would I rather go back and watch if I had a couple of hours spare and I was to pick a Doctor Who story what would I put on ahead of the other things? Because mm-hmm. I find it so difficult now to separate out the next maybe eight, because the, the top two for me are a cut above, but the, the rest of them are, are quite interchangeable. So it's what would I rather chuck on if I had the opportunity to watch something? And Vengeance on Varos, I definitely would rather put on again to rewatch than any of the ones that come beneath it in my chart. Fair enough. I think you're going to be surprised at where I have Varos. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. It's, it's not immediately next. It's going to be, a, it's going to be a little bit before we get there. 
Oh, okay. This could be... Uh, although, looking at it, we, we had uh, Hartnell and Davison pretty much together. McCoy, we've only got two picks apart from each other. Mm-hmm. I've not had Pertwee yet. You've not had Tom Baker yet. So, yeah, there's going to be a good deal of variation here. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, mate. It's going to be interesting. Uh, what have you got next? So, next up, my number nine is Planet of the Daleks uh, with okay. John Pertwee. Um, so again, you know, we're not too far, not too far off each other there either. Um, it, it was all right. It, it was a, you know, like you say, it was a bit damsel in distressy with uh, with Joe. Um, the the idea of the invisible monsters was well executed to a point for the time period until they put the furs on and like I said, just <laughs> and you get so you get Sully's ball bag rocking about. Um, yeah. And yeah, there, there was just a bit too much convenient. We need this. Oh, here it is. I've hidden this thing where behind this this sprig of heather. Yeah, uh, behind these couple of the, tiny blades of grass. Yeah. Um, and I think I think a lot of it as well was I went in with sort of high hopes after we'd reviewed Inferno. I think maybe I did myself a little bit there. Because mm. um, you know, because I've, I've watched a, a few of Pertwee's serials uh, and enjoyed them more than I enjoyed this, so maybe yep. I was subconsciously setting too high a bar for Pertwee there. But it comes in ninth. But like I say, it could have it could have been it's interchangeable with the next couple as well. So it, it could have been even higher on a different day. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I'm going to be saying that a lot. <laughs> Well, this is it. I'm going to say the same thing now. Exactly the same thing about my number nine. It could easily have changed places with my number 10, Vengeance on Barros, but it could have easily have found itself as high as fifth place, jumping above everything that's above it. But where I've kind of settled is in ninth place, and that is Asylum of the Daleks. <sighs> yeah, I know. I knew this would get a reaction, but yeah, it is. I mean, this is going to be a this is going to be a big big variation in our thinking okay i i enjoyed asylum of the dialects you listen back to the episodes that we recorded on mm. it, it obviously i enjoyed it and clara's in it of course so you know that's a big win for me but uh with that asylum of the dialects story for me as as great as it was seeing all the old daleks and the, the sort of run down dead casings and all that sort of stuff i've never been a fan of rory as you well know and the biggest part of this for me that makes the story is the reveal at the end. So when I've seen it before, the reveal kind of loses some of its magic because I know what's coming. And that's kind of why I've decided that I would go back and watch this. I'm less likely to go back and watch this than I am the ones that follow it. Despite the Clara factor. Despite the Clara factor, I can just Google her and look at pictures, mate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I would not want to see your search history. <laughs> you really would not. <laughs> I'm, I'm genuinely astonished. Yeah? That that's so low, yeah. Um, obviously, I'm never going to tell you you're wrong. It's, it's your preference. Um, but, you know, you're entitled to your wrong opinion. Um, <laughs> but again, though, again, I, I'm not a fan of the whole rory amy story i'm not yeah I, I do understand rory and, aside. and i'm i'm not 
a massive Matt Smith fan either. I mean, doing this watch back, the more we watch of Matt Smith, the more I enjoy. And I think it's going to have a similar Capaldi effect that you said you've had going back and rewatching Capaldi. You enjoyed it more and uh, like later with, with reviewing. I think I'm going to start getting a bit of that, but I've still not seen enough of Matt Smith to really grasp how great he is. Now, you've got to bear in mind as well, I'm doing a bit of a new who rewatch with my daughter at the moment. And we're mm. in the middle of, well, I'll say middle, we're in the first season of Tenants Run. So I'm getting reminded now on a quite a regular basis and obviously through her eyes as well, how bloody much I loved David Tennant as the doctor and Matt Smith. It just weren't for me. He's hugely popular with other people. I appreciate that. And again, it's all just a matter of opinion, but for me, nah, it's not quite there. mate. Okay. For season three, if I get the Matt Smith pick, Mm -hmm. I think I know where and I think I know where I'm going with it. Okay. Interesting. And it's it's a story that I think's fantastic, but never seems to crop up when anybody talks about it. And I don't know right. how people overlook it because it is so good. It's a self contained one. But like I said, we'll come to that in the future. Yes, indeed. I think I think I've, I think I can think of at least one off the top of my head that if you don't like this episode of Matt Smith, it's quite Rory light as well, which is good. Um, then, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to start experiment, experimenting on you with the, uh, with the Matt Smith picks. Okay. <laughs> I'll look forward to it. I'll look forward to it. Uh, what have we got next, my friend? Uh, well, it's a number eight, aren't we? Mm-hmm. And for me, it's, uh, it's enemy of the world with, uh, okay, with Troughton. Right. Um, the, I, Enjoyed it at the time watching it. I think went through that. It was, there was, it was, <laughs> it's the silliness with accents that I remember, first of all, but also the companions really sort of came through. You know, Jamie was, was, was put to great use. And I'll be on, because I'm doing this off the top of my head, I can't remember the, um, the girl's name. What's it? Jamie and, oh, uh, Vicky? Victoria. Victoria. Yeah, you know, Jamie and Victoria are put to good use. Um, you know, there's not too, there's, from what I recall, there's not, you know, not a vast amount of damsel in distress stuff until absolutely necessary in the story. You've got, um, you've got a couple of really good villains in there. And then the story twist with the whole subterranean cult, I think brilliant. And the Connie's pulling and uh, you know, the, um, that he's pulling and all of that. Um, it was, it, there were some really good elements to it, but it just it just wouldn't get on my telly, like you said, ahead of what's above it. Yeah, um, yeah. But extra points for the uh, for the twist in the story and for the uh, the double roles for uh, for Patrick Trout. Um. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I I completely agree. My number eight is Enemy of the World. Hey, so. we've got one together. <laughs> and I completely agree. Triton's fantastic. Absolutely brilliant in this. Uh, and again, it's something that I would go back and watch again quite happily. I really, really enjoyed enjoyed the story. I enjoyed the, the concept of the double role for Triton and just everything about it was great. But it's not as good as the ones that follow for me in my own personal, personal decision. Again, with the option of going back and filling a couple of hours this would not this i would put this on above varos above planet of the daleks 
but I wouldn't above what follows it. So, and everything you you explained about the, the story, I, I completely agree with. And we've we've forgotten the best character as well, the chef, uh, Griff the chef. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the miser- miserable sake bastard that he was. Yeah, totally. Absolute diamond <laughs> of a character. Ah, oh, that's good. That's good. We've got one that matches, mate. I mean, the, all the others seem all over the bloody place, but we've got one that matches. Yeah, one out of the first uh, first seven picks. Yeah, exactly. So then, you say first seven picks. We're on number seven. What we got? Oh, coming mid-table, uh, which might surprise you, actually, uh, is The Three Doctors. Okay, interesting. Why again, is it based where it is? This on again, this on any other other day could have gone as high as fourth, um, compared to what you know with what comes after it. But because what I did was I was trying to do this from memory, because the more I remember about it after you know one maybe two watches, then it's obviously done enough to stick in my mind. Um, yeah, that makes three sense. Doctors, yeah, the, the three doctors. Um, had a lot of fun watching, and it but it was held together on the basis of Troughton and Pertwee's interactions and their chemistry. Mm. That was the driving force in it because I've watched the three doctors a couple of times um, previously to doing it for the podcast. And I cannot remember what the actual story involves, but I know that I love seeing those two on screen together. Yeah. And that, but that, just that alone was enough to put it higher than the other, than the others. No, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, so much so, you're going to believe what I'm going to say now for my number seven. No way. The Three Doctors. <laughs> <laughs> no one will yes, believe indeed. this wasn't planned. <laughs> the Three Doctors. And again, I loved Pertwee and Triton's interactions. They made the show. I cannot get on board all the the mind link nonsense. I had a big problem with that when we watched it. Um, uh, that is kind of what marked it down a bit for me. Uh, but it, again, I would go back and watch it again, of course. And I enjoyed the reveal of Omega's mask coming off and his face isn't there and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But it's just not as good as the, the other aspects. I mean, I'm, I'm literally picking out moments. And when you said it's a case of, um, you enjoyed Pertwee and Triton. There's not much else that you can actually remember trying to do it for memory. That made me realize that, yeah, that's kind of how I feel as well. I put it where it is because of my preferences for the top six I have, but mm. it kind of does summarize why it is where it is for me too. Yeah. It's um, to use the footballing analogy again. It's like, uh, it's like, an, it's like an Aston Villa or, you know, a team like that finishing mid-table. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to remember it. it the, you know, they might have a seven-two against Liverpool once in a while, but that's you know, it's a flash in the pan. Yeah, and it doesn't you know, in terms of the, in terms of the season as a whole. So that's like you said, the, re- the reveal of Omega and the idea of Omega as a villain is good. And it's it's better than what precedes it, and, and it was quite well executed with the whole, you know, sort of what was it? You know, it was on the other side of a black hole, wasn't it? Essentially, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's yeah, it, it's just that it is it's mid table. Couple of really couple of really good points, but can't go higher than the others, like we've already said. 
Yeah, no, that's fair enough, mate. That's fair enough. And obviously, I totally agree because it's in the same place on my chart, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Number six, then, as we fast approach the uh, the heavyweights from season two, shall we say? Oh, numbers right. Number six will be our biggest biggest gap so far in terms of you know what we've both had come out and and whatever. Uh, because for me, it's Vengeance of Varos. Why? Colin Baker six. that high because I know how much you did disliked Colin Baker first time round. So the fact it's as high as that, I am really stunned. Well, the, the whole reason I picked Varos in the first place was to air test the theory that this is a good serial and that Baker isn't, um, you know, Baker <laughs> isn't that bad as the Doctor, uh, as as posed by uh, AB on on Twitter there. Um. And to test my bias, because I dis- right. you're right, I, I despised him on that first series, on the, in the first season that we did, and the first series we watched. I was really, and I mean, this is where I may be overrating it slightly. I gave it major points for turning my opinion round on Colin Baker. In this, he showed how he could play the Doctor. He wasn't completely free from the bastardry and. and you know the hard edges and stuff like that, but there was there was a bit more fun in him. There was you know the odd quip here and there. There was the quick thinking and you know set like setting up the vines at the end. And I'm sure he had a quip at, you know before he set them up and yeah. and let them go and what have you. And I thought the world that they were on Varos, the whole idea of it and the political intrigue was was done really well. Um, even Sill, who we mocked. <laughs> because he is a, a, a masochistic horny space slug. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I bet there's no other podcast you will ever be on where you can use that sentence and it actually have context. I don't know. I'll probably be able to uh, to use it when I'm next to Marty and Fitch when I'm talking to Fitch. <laughs> <laughs> um, even that, it made you know. He's a villain. He's meant to make you feel uncomfortable. And he's meant to be gross and disgusting. And I thought the road, the line, you know, looking back, I think the road, the line quite well. And even cutting back to Clara's grandma in the, uh, in you know, in the living quarters, we'll call them. Mm-hmm. It broke it up so well and gave you such a great insight from what is a normal person on that planet. Um, yeah, I just, I, I, really, I really enjoyed it. And it gets extra points for pleasantly surprising me. Ah. Fair enough. I'm glad you enjoyed it, mate. I, I like to think that there's a bit of all the Doctors that people can find enjoyment of, even the Doctors that we're not so fond of, if you know what I mean. Yeah, but it, the, I think my rankings show that it can work both ways. Caves of Androzani, I think, was top five for me in the first in our first season, maybe if not top three. It was very, very high on both our charts, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah it was. And yeah, he's, he's dead last for me and second to last for you, based on The mm-hmm. Awakening. So it can work both ways. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Uh, my number six is Terror of the Zygons. Ooh, okay, now that makes it. Let me just check there. Five picks between that. So, no, we got it wrong. This is now the biggest gap between us. Okay, okay. <laughs> See, I can look past the crappy Loch Ness Monster lizardy thing uh, because I think this story is brilliant. I think it's so cleverly done. The, the shapeshifters, uh, all of it. I think it's just so 
well done. I, I really, really enjoyed this. I love Sarah Jane. She's fantastic. Harry, he serves a purpose in this story. The Brigadier is great as well. It's and, and Tom Baker. I really enjoyed Tom Baker in this story because he's quite he's quite comical with the one-liners and so on. But then when it comes time to be serious, he's still not trying to be too comical, which is sometimes what you read online. Certain people put towards Baker on occasions. The whole shapeshifter thing, I think, is really clever as well. And that that nurse, the, the sister, she was a sinister bitch, weren't she? Yeah, she was. And this is annoying. This is what the problem, like when you start thinking about it too much, because now you're talking me round. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, uh, I, now you've, now you've, Make it, you know, I'm sort of looking at it from a, like a positives first angle and stuff like that. I'm now thinking, yeah, I should have put that at eight instead and then dropped everything else down one. But I've, I've said it, I've got to stick to it. That's but, it, mate. It's locked in now. It's locked in now. Bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was, I thought it was a great story. And it's to me, it's one of those things where, and I'm going to contradict myself a little bit here because of what I said about the Happiness Patrol and the Candyman. Uh, we say quite regularly when we review these episodes of its time with regards to special effects and sometimes trying to look past uh, it's certain episodes that they have great effects for the time and it's really well done fair play to them but other episodes it's a case we've got to look past the shitty special effects to focus on the story and this one here i think is really sort of stands to that rule I, mm. i've got to look past the shitty special effects because it does look bloody terrible because the story to me was that good yeah. No, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Um, <laughs> yeah, because of where I put it, I have to say agree to disagree, but I, I don't disagree. <laughs> <laughs> but again, we've seen so much good Doctor Who. It's all interchangeable, isn't it, on this? Yeah. I could, like I say, now, I, now I'm reconsidering my list. It could have gone as high as eight. It, would it sneak ahead of the three Doctors? It, I don't know, but... Yeah, it's at least we put these caveats on early, saying that they're all interchangeable. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, but I think from here, I'm pretty happy with with my selections. Okay, mine's broken up still. My next three, I think you could probably still interchange a bit, but my top two, I am 100% happy with. So am I. Okay. My top two are never in doubt. Okay, interesting. Okay, well, let's let's head towards them then. Number five, Dan. Number five is the Christopher Eccleston two-parter, The Empty Child and the Doctor Dances. Really? Yeah. And again, this is not disparaging it anyway. It's just the ones after this, I genuinely, genuinely love. One of them I've grown to love over time. But the rest of them, I absolutely adore and have done for a good long while. That's the only reason this goes as low as it does, because this was so crucial in Eccleston and David Tennant's sort of histories as the Doctor, introducing Jack, having a and just having a really great, creepy original villain mm. without a Dalek or a Cyberman or a Zygon or or anything like that, they managed to tell a brilliant, creepy story in the trappings of World War Two, and having Richard Wilson on oh, staff, yeah. <laughs> who I thought I thought he played a great character. You know, he had his, his, his sinister bit in the first episode and his humour at the end. Nancy was a great side character as well. 
what you know what a, what a great story to tell within an hour and a half of screen time mm. that you know the the whole thing about you know being a single mother and then she's pretending he, he's a brother and she's had to go through losing him and then he, he's come back as this creature and all the rest of it there's just there is so much crammed into this story and so much of it good but it goes down to five because of the fucking gas masks <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering when that was going to get bought up. <laughs> well, I think I had, to, I had to extol the virtues of it before, before I went with some arbitrary bullshit, because as I said before, this ended up sparking a fear of gas masks in me. Because, it, and I think we said it on the show, it is genuinely unsettling even now when mm. you see the facial change. Oh, yeah, totally. And that's what freaks Charlie out the most. Whereas yeah. I find the whole Are You My Mummy thing happening potentially the creepiest aspect of that bad guy that that character the facial change and the noises it made is what actually freaked out my daughter the most and she's probably maybe a little bit more of the target audience than i am mm. so yeah, well and at the time this came out i would have been about 15 16 okay so a little bit older uh, or quite a bit older than charlie is now well she's about to t- she turns 13 in a couple of months so it's not too oh, far so- away really well, I'm a, I'm a bloke as well, so if anything, the mentally, I was probably a few years behind where she is now. <laughs> 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 so, yeah, I just it, it's it, it ranks high, but I can't I can't put it any higher than that. That's fair enough, mate. That's fair enough. Uh, my number five may be a little bit of a surprise because of how much I sung its praises and the history I have with it, and it also may be a bit of a surprise with how. I suppose new who heavy that makes my top four. Yeah. Uh, my number five is the five doctors. Did you just get confused and think you had to put it there? Cause the number five was involved looking at my list. Now it does make sense. No, I'm just- <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love, I love the five doctors. And again, it's one of those same as SummerSlam 89. I said it on the recording originally, those two VHS tapes I got for Christmas one year when I was a child wore it out to pieces. I love it. Watching it back for the show as a grown-up, again, I loved it. Really enjoyed it. It could have quite easily hit fourth place. Uh, probably wouldn't have gone much higher than that, but it was fourth or fifth was what I was looking at. But it's got it's got going into fifth for now. Well, locking it in, I guess, is what we've been saying. The only thing that I kind of take away from it or makes it get marked down a touch was watching it back as an adult, seeing how there were certain aspects that didn't make sense in the bigger story. For example, Mm. they had to get a Dalek on screen. So they got a Dalek on screen, made the Dalek look fucking stupid, blew itself up just to be able to get a Dalek on screen because it's the anniversary episode and and stuff like that. There's certain little moments where I I wasn't... Look, as a grown-up, I was a bit like, okay, that's a bit bit on the ropey side, just trying to sort of crowbar that in there. But Mm. ultimately, it's number five on the list, which is a very high position considering we're ranking things out of 14. And I do have that whole nostalgia and, and almost childhood love for that story. Fair enough. See, if you'd have if you'd have still had the three doctors left and you'd you'd put that at three, I'd have been calling bullshit on your on your explanation there. But <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, I, do, I do get what you're saying. Um, I had a lot of fun watching the five doctors as well, and we'll we'll come to it when uh, when it crops up in my picks. But I think five's a, five's a good spot for it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah like i say i'll get to my thoughts on it in a little bit yeah fair enough fair enough uh well if that's in a little bit what you got for us now well number four number four is 
Human Nature and the Family of Blood, David Tennant. Okay. This is one I've learned to love over the years. When it first aired, I, I was probably 16, maybe 17. Wasn't that bothered because I was thinking, well, what do I give a shit if the doctor's a teacher? Yeah. You know, what's the point? The, the, the whole nuance of the story was lost on me. Watching it back as an adult, it's so much better than I ever gave it credit for. You know, we, we waxed lyrical with Gary about, um, you know, about some of the, some of the scenes and the speeches and things like that. And the, the performance of, um, of the, of the lad who plays Baines mm-hmm. and, and the woman who plays, uh, Martha's friend, um, and how it deals with, um, you know, the, <laughs> let's call it the sociological issues of the time, you know, the treatment of women and, and people well, of color yeah. and all of that. Um, you know, <laughs> it, it is an incredible two part and just the way it, the, the ending, the way it finishes, when it, you find out that this whole thing was so that the, was the doctor being kind, because he could have just turned around and and killed him if he wanted to, mm-hmm. but that's not the doctor's way. He'd rather sacrifice a year, six months of his life than than do anything else. So yeah, that gets up to number four for me. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. We will discuss that from my standpoint in a little bit. I think my number four is a story that is much, much more highly placed than it was on your chart. And this is probably going to surprise a few people again with how high it is. Uh, I've got at number four, Kablam with Jodie Whittaker. Yeah. Okay. Talk to me, Goose. Talk to me. (laughs) I watched this back and... I wasn't expecting much. And I think maybe that is what helped it because I wasn't Mm. expecting much. And I enjoyed it so much more than I remembered when it was first aired on, on, on the BBC on television. I think some of the secondary characters, but not necessarily the characters themselves, the likes of Kira and and the young lad who ended up being the, the the main bad guy in it. And, And also the individual from Coronation street, who was like the, the commanding, the sort of the, the supervisor in the Kablam warehouse, head, head of people. Yes, that's right, head of yeah. I think as characters on their own, okay, fine, they're there, they're filling out the show, whatever. But the interactions those characters had with the Doctor's companions, I loved. Mm. I loved how the Doctor was constantly turning around to the head of people and saying, "If I find out you're in part of th- you're part of this," and her look of shock and worry and fear, and then finding out that she's that dedicated to her job. I also think the the interactions with Lee Mack and Yaz, Lee Mack's character, uh, was, was great because Lee Mack was playing himself. He was Lee Mack, but he was kind of this Jack the Lad in the warehouse and, you know, his interactions with Yaz and the fact that he went down to the, the area that was dangerous to save her going and so on. I enjoyed that. And the biggest one for me was Bradley Walsh is fantastic. We always say a great Bradley Walsh is. Yeah. Bradley Walsh's interactions with the young lad who is training him to be a cleaner. I I love that. Talking about him obviously fancying this Kira uh, and Bradley Walsh having have a little laugh and a joke with him and trying to encourage him to ask her out and all that. I thought that was really heartwarming and, and, and just lovely. And then the big thing for me, the similar to the way that the Asylum of the Daleks has been marked down because the big twist was very much still in my mind the big twist at the end of kablam where it turns out to be the young lads that you're very fond of is effectively planning on killing everyone that was a massive swear for me even though i'd seen it before i didn't see it coming when i watched it back the second time so kablam for me is 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 in my top four because it just 
it's it's a great standalone episode. It's a great to me. It's it's the way Doctor Who should be done, and I wish they did more of it with Jodie Whittaker's Doctor. You know that sort of monster yeah. of the week, solve the problem, move on, and you're left feeling quite happy at the end because of what's gone on. Isn't it funny how we can have such a different opinion on it? Yeah, it's so strange. I just, yeah, because <laughs> on some level, I agree with everything you said. Yeah. And yet it somehow left me a lot colder than it did you. Okay. Like, looking back on it. But I, I remember being pretty fond of Kira, and it was, you know, quite humorous slash a bit cringy, you know, with their interactions, Kira and the, uh, the young fella whose name I forget. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's. I'm really, I'm actually really happy you've got a Whitaker episode that high in the rankings because it, it it enforces my opinion that these are going to age well. Yeah, even, I think so. Even, even in my own mind. Now, I, I don't know, but I'm struggling to remember now because I, I, I went back and watched a few Whitaker episodes before doing the podcast and and you know dotted them around ever since. So I'm wondering if if maybe I remembered a bit too much of it, if not enough time had elapsed for me before I watched it. Right, okay. I can't remember, I can't remember if it was this one or something else. See, this is the problem. I've got, maybe I need to start actually making proper notes for these rather than, uh, bullshit, <laughs> bullshit, rather than bullshitting my way through. But yeah, it's even though it's low down in terms of this season for me, it's still a decent Whitaker episode. Mm. Um, and the... The, the Whitaker got given a lot worse stories than okay. this one. I'll put it that way. So <laughs> maybe I've done it a bit, a bit, a bit of a disservice again. Or maybe I've just been oh. a bit optimistic with it. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting kind of similar vibes for your opinions on Whitaker as mine on Colin Baker on Varos. Right. Okay. You know, we've both maybe been caught by surprise or something we were expecting to enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's quite a, quite a strong possibility and I suppose the opposite end of the scale for me with the happiness patrol I was expecting to enjoy that a lot more than I actually did maybe mm. yeah hey, funny old things these things between our ears aren't they they are indeed mate they are indeed uh, top three then top three third place what do you got third place five doctors okay absolutely adored it I thought we got more uh, Trout and Pertwee although not uh, not too much um, I liked how the story of Rassilon emerged over time. I thought the uh, the idea of the time scoop was very good as well. The uh, the twist with it being the Lord President behind everything, uh, I really enjoyed. You know, and he's got his uh, he's got his little figures that keep generating and all of that, and and how everybody it just felt well paced. Everybody seemed to be on the right path to the Dark Tower, similar paces, so they all converge at once. You, you never felt anybody was too far ahead or too far behind anybody else. Yes, there was the, the, the silly bits like, you know, um, not William Hartnell, um, uh, Richard Richard Rundle or Richard Hundle, I can't remember his name. You know, uh, First Doctor, I yep. need to stop for a we- arrest, Susan, I'll scout ahead 10 paces. Oh, look, the TARDIS. Yeah. Um, In this big, oh, it, flat field. <laughs> yeah. Oh, here's, the, here's this uh, uber-fast, deadly murder robot. Um, we're just going to sneak past him as he's popping Cyberman heads, and oh, look, we'll nick some of his stuff. Yeah, yeah, that was a bit. There was a bit of that. Um, but the twist at the end when Barusa's 
finally going to achieve immortality. He's been following the clues. He's got. He's found the control room with the musical harp. He's got the coronet of Rassilon, and he's he's going. He's there to grasp immortality and take the ring. And the whole thing is there to stop people like him mm. by giving them what he wants. He will live forever, but it will be as a face in a coffin. It's very clever, isn't it? Very clever, yeah. I, I liked it. Uh, I liked it a lot. I'll go back and watch it again, um, no doubt. I think I've, I, I think I've been watching it about once every two years. Right. Something like that. It's one that I, tend, that I do tend to go back to. Um, I'm just... I'm, I prefer my DVD version purely because it's got a better time scoop effect, as I said yeah. on, a, on, a, on a video on, on WhatsApp. That's right. That We mentioned it on the show, didn't we, that I, I watched yeah. it on BritBox and you got the little funny ZX Spectrum graphics of a black triangle. And then you sent me a clip of what you have on, on that DVD and it does look so much better, doesn't it? Yeah, when it's like a... It's a bit like a swirly sort of migraine or a handkerchief that swoops down and, uh, and scoops them up. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay yeah fair enough mate fair enough I, I don't know i don't know why i think this way but i'm quite surprised that's as high as it is for you yeah you reckon mm, yeah i don't know why i've got nothing to really base that on but i didn't think you would have the five doctors higher than i would i don't know what I, again i got no reason I'm, to think I'm, that. I'm surprised by that i thought we'd be on a, about on the same wavelength and, and to be fair we're, we're not far off it's only you know, two we're only two thing uh, two picks apart. It was five for you and third for me. Um but yeah, we had to go up there because I think it's the best of it's the best of the classic that we watched. Um and it therefore and it had to go up there. It's and it, it's a it's a piece of history as well. Yeah. You know, bringing in bring you know uniting Peter Davison with um with Pertwee and Troughton and, and a version of the first doctor. The, the only sad thing is that they didn't. That is that Tom Baker didn't want to do it. That would have really, that yeah, would have really tipped it. That that have tipped it even further in its favour, yeah. and, and maybe, maybe even crack the top two. Although that would be difficult. Yeah, my number three is. Um, are you my mummy? The Fuck empty off. child and the doctor dances. Now, I when we first started doing this podcast, I thought that this would be on our first season as our Christopher Eccleston episode because my memories of Christopher Eccleston as the Doctor and my when people talk to me as well about New Who in general, this is kind of the first thing I think of because it had such an impact on me when it first aired. And I enjoyed you know the the, the restart of Doctor Who. And I've, again, recently watched it back with Charlie, the whole Eccleston run. Before that, my memories of Eccleston was, okay, I enjoyed it. It was all right. It feels a bit silly. Maybe I'm a bit old for this now. Then this came out, and I was like, this is what I remember. This is the Doctor Who that I remember as a kid. The second episode, the whole the whole aspect of this time, Rose, everybody lives, and I, you know, this time nobody's going to die. I love that aspect of it because there's always yeah. some victims at some stage. It's just, I just think the whole almost zombie-esque aspect of these things moving around with the masks and if they touch you then you become like them as well it's kind of very like you know zombie invasion kind of style to it and the whole world war ii aspect is great as well i i really enjoy it. and and nancy is just one of the best characters 
not just in New Who, not just in Eccleston's run. I think Nancy is one of the best characters we have seen in Doctor Who ever. She is that good. I reckon she is that good. Yeah, Nancy really is. And so just just when you were talking there about when you said about the the idea of of the child touching you and you and becoming like him, it, it just brings back that Richard Wilson line where he says physical injuries manifesting as plague. And it's just so succinct and yet so terrifying. Yeah. When you actually take in what he's saying and the meaning behind that, that you can, the idea being that you can contract a virus and it will cave your chest and turn, you know, you'll have a scar on your hand and it'll turn your face into a gas mask made of bone. Mm. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible and it's, Possibly the best episodes of Eccleston's run. I've I, I've, I, I have a lot so. of love. I have a lot of love for I picked Dalek mm-hmm. uh, in the first season. I have a lot of love for that episode. Um, despite the Adam factor, I have a lot of love for the episode after that where they're on uh, Satellite Five, and it's yeah. a uh, it's a news broadcast facility that's actually been used to manipulate the media and, and prevent humanity from um, from advancing. The three episodes that come after um, this two-parter, I really enjoy because it, as it builds towards the finale of the final season, and the you know the battles with the Daleks and, and all the rest of it. But yeah, you're right. As a one-off villain, and with the strength of the uh, the supporting characters, Empty Child and Doctor Dance is, is probably the best of Eccleston's era. And it's it's for my list. It's just unlucky that it came up against the competition it did, so that it's not higher in the rankings. Yeah, that's fair enough, mate. That's fair enough. So we go into our top two here then. How do you want to do this? Because I think there's a strong possibility we've got the same number one. So do we just both name our number two simultaneously and see if we've got the number ones right? Because I've got a feeling (laughs) that we do have the same number one. Mm. So if we if we say our our second place on th- on three because I, I know our, I know our number two is not going to be the same. Yeah, that's it. Okay. So at two on three, one, two, three, Asylum of the Daleks. There we go. <laughs> there you go. There we go. So yeah, yeah so- Asylum of the Daleks for you then, Dan. At number two, why is that? This episode when it originally aired blew me away. I thought it was fantastic. The whole idea of the Daleks having to reach out to the Doctor for help alone is a great twist on that old enemy relationship. The fact that they then take his latest companions, because the Doctor always works better with a team or or someone to fight for, Mm -hmm. makes perfect sense, even if it is Amy and Rory. Yeah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> well we've not established river song at this point otherwise you could have had raw you could have had the doctor and river which would have been brilliant yeah um the idea of the daleks having this new type of camouflage or dalek subspecies where you've got the stalks coming out of the foreheads at the very beginning brilliant they've changed the dynamic between amy and rory initially which causes a bit of intrigue not much but it does. And then you introduce Oswin, as she's called in this, Oswin Oswald. 
incredibly clever. She's waiting to be rescued. She's obviously been pursued by Daleks. Brilliant. The, the visuals on it are fantastic. When Rory's walking through what we think is the rusted that remains of, of, of Daleks that have passed away, mm-hmm. looks incredible and is really atmospheric and creepy. Contrast that with when they're in the when they're up top in the in the in the ship and you have the reveal that the rest of the crew's dead. And like the colour just even just the colour changes and the whole feel of the thing, it bounces around really well. But then Clara's providing the light relief, you know, calling Rory uh what's calling the doctor chin and the nose and the chin and stuff yeah. like that. <laughs> While she's just while she's just sat there being smart, badass, and completely gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, totally. It, and the reveal at the end, when it this is all in her mind, which is so subtly planted throughout the episode with the doctor saying, Well, where'd you get the where'd you get the milk? Mm-hmm. Where'd you get the eggs? And that whole thing of even just the word eggs being there saying when the Dalek wakes up in front of her and it's going eggs, 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 exterminate. Yeah. It's just so fucking good. I've re- I'm, there's a lot of bias in this pick because I, I do like Smith. I think he from I think he does get a bit of a bad rap on occasion. And he, he did endure some absolute shit stories. Like vampires in like underwater vampires in Venice. And the early days, the whole relationship and the dynamic between him, Amy, and Rory was was pants. It was terrible, yeah. But this is real. I just, I love this episode. It is so good, and I was so happy when you picked it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, it's nine on my list, so quite a drop. But that's not saying I don't enjoy it. I think it is a really well-written story. It's brilliant. But the big thing for me is the reveal at the end. And I kind of knew what was coming up. So it kind of took the edge off for me a little bit. It's kind of what I'm getting at. I would go, I would still happily go back and watch this again. And I'm looking forward to getting to this point on my watch back with Charlie, because she will have no idea of that reveal at the end. Mm. And I wonder if seeing Charlie's reaction to it will change my opinion yet again, maybe. Potentially, potentially, it is the sort of thing. It, I go back to saying about introducing someone to Doctor Who with Happiness Patrol. You wouldn't do it, no. But now you know with this, you've already got somebody involved in in Doctor Who. They're already invested. I think seeing Charlie's reaction, if she has a really positive reaction to it, you know, like a you know the intake of breath and the oh my god, I think it'll bump it up in your estimation. Yeah, it might well do, mate. It might well do. That's a good point. But for now, fuck it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My number two is the David Tennant two-parter, Human Nature, Family of Blood. This was fantastic. And it was locked in in my top two right from the very beginning. My, My top two were put in these positions right from when I first made the list and they have not budged one iota since I've been tinkering and moving things up and down. This was superb. Tenant was amazing. Uh, all of the bad guys, all of the aliens, when, when I sort of, I suppose, possessed or took over are fantastic as well. Even the little girl going, nope, 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 nope. Looking for that certain young lad. Uh, and that aspect as well, the, the young kiddie who they're training to, to fight for the war and so on. 
and, and you get the reveal at the end. Oh, it's just there's so much to this. And you mentioned all the speeches as well. I think as as a dialogue heavy script potentially because there's a lot of talking in this episode there's a lot of back and forth between characters before it all kicks off and there's still quite a bit whilst it's kicking off as well but the first episode obviously the doctor is hiding as a teacher seeing his relationship develop with the is it the, the nurse the matron yeah joan yeah seeing his relationship develop with her and then the dynamic as well of uh, Martha trying to look after the doctor, but can't reveal why she's looking at and just, there's so much to it. So many different layers. And I think it's one of those that I appreciate so much more now I'm older because I can understand the personal relationships that are built in front of us, as opposed to thinking, okay, just go fight the aliens. Now there's a lot, it's more of a grown up feeling to it. And it's just, I just loved it, mate. Absolutely sodding brilliant. Loved it. Yeah, well, Gary, who, who picked it for us, that, that is his favourite epi- favorite episodes of, of Doctor Who of all time. And he's he's been watching for, um, you know, he's been watching since the, since the original Doctor Who. Mm. So it's high praise and it's completely deserved. And we've said exactly the same thing about now, you know, we're, we're old enough to appreciate it now, to appreciate the storylines, the relationships, the themes it explores, and just how well-written, well-acted, well-delivered it all is. Mm. I mean, the scene at the end as well, when the Doctor reveals himself to be back as the Doctor and he's flicked all the switches and then he catches that thing that's thrown and, and that yeah. moment of catching it, you're like, ah, oh, he's back. And then you get the moment where he's talking to Joan in the cottage and she's basically saying, none of this happens if you didn't pick this at random. Yeah. And it's like that realisation of, yes, the Doctor does so much good, but yeah, danger and death does follow him around. And there's just so many different layers to it. And you saying about when we had Gary on the show, he listed this, he picked this, and he said this was his favourite, as you said. I was a bit like, oh, really? Okay. Well, it's what the guest wants. We'll review it. I don't remember much about it, to be honest. I can think of other tenant stories that I probably would prefer. No, I completely stand corrected now. Absolutely, 100%. This is fantastic. Yeah, it really is. Um, And this was so good that they tied the the whole story off um, in Tenant's final scenes. So when Tenant's about to regenerate into Matt Smith, he, he goes on a... He goes on a tour and, and visits his old companions. Mm-hmm. Every single one of them. So he sees Mickey and Martha. He sees everybody. He saves obviously saves Rose for last. And and it's it's a version of Rose before she knew him. But one of the people he visits is Joan's granddaughter, and she's written a she's written a book called a journal of what's a journal of impossible things. And the cover of it's like uh, like clockwork, like a pocket watch. Mm-hmm. And she's doing a signing at a, just a little bookshop. But they've got, um, they've got, I can't remember her name now, or a, a name now, now that she's my, but Jessica Stevenson, the actress, they've got her back. And uh, she's just there sort of head down, you know, who should I make it out to? And he says, uh, the doctor. And she says, that's funny. That's the name he used. And she looks up, sees him, and says, you know, and she's sort of like taken aback, like, are you him? Yeah. And he's, he's there, you know, he's 
welling up and he just asks, was she happy in the end? And he just, she just looks at him and says, yes, she, you know, she found someone and all that. And then he, you know, he toddles off, but he, he thought enough of her to go back and maybe not visit her, but at least make sure that she was all right in the end. Mm. Yeah, it, Which, it's it, 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 even that brings like a lump to the throat, you know, looking back and it's obviously a yeah. big, big emotional scene with tenant leaving, but calling back to that whole thing because she basically told him where to go at the end of it. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, <laughs> quite yeah. right too, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but just the, the reach of that episode is is way beyond anything I'd have ever considered at first airing. No, absolutely, just so so good, so good. So then, our number one choice of our favourite story from our selections made for season two of the Doctor Who pod. If we haven't got the same episode now, we're going to have to go back to the beginning and do this all over again. You know that, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bugger that. I'll just agree with whatever you say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming that you have Heaven Sent. But with Peter Capaldi, yes, I do. Oh, yes. I was. I cannot tell in fact I didn't tell you but I can't tell you again how excited I was that you picked this episode one of even I've said a lot of Capaldi's run is better in hindsight mm-hmm. this aired and I knew it was an instant classic yep it's it's just so good and it's it's actually technically smack in the middle of a three-part but it works on its own as well doesn't it yep cheers for that just uh, just kind of burped and lost me <laughs> lost my ability to speak but <laughs> Just, I love this kind of story where it emerges over time and the doctor's he's monologuing for the vast majority of it. When he's not monologuing, he's narrating. There's very, there's very little happening, but it builds the tension with this shrouded figure just shuffling towards him. And, you know, he's got to find his way through this labyrinth of a castle. And you've got the drama of him jumping out the window and, just every beat of this story works so fucking well. And especially when you consider where he's been before this, he's just watched his best friend die. He's just watched Clara die. And he's been thrust into this. He's furious, grieving, upset, probably a bit frightened. And you get somehow get all of that. From Capaldi. Yeah, he's just fantastic, isn't he? It's masterful. Just We said it so many times. So well written, so well acted, so well well delivered. I I, I struggle to pick a fault with this episode at all. I I don't think I can either. I think it's that good. And I I would normally find something, regardless of how small it may well be. But here, I, I, I really struggle. It's... I'll tell you what, it, it kind of the vibes I get, and it's not in any way, shape, or form a similar format or anything like that. But have you seen The Usual Suspects? No, I haven't. Okay. Well, that kind of fucks up the next thing I was going to say then. Cause I, 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 know, I know a little bits about it when he's, he's picking things out in the room and making a story up. Right. There you go. Yeah. There you go. You don't get until the end that this is, this individual is doing what he's doing. And as they're running through, stuff and he's walking away it's given you the reveal of he picked that off a newspaper clipping he's picked that from a desk he's and the story is bits and bobs it's a similar kind of vibe when you get to the end of this episode and you see okay the hand 
that now makes sense because it links to this and the reveal of what each individual thing you're looking at it, it kind of all pieces together in one it kind of all it, you know it's, it's it's best part of an hour long this episode 45 minutes 50 minutes whatever it may well be mm-hmm. and you've got all these separate moments in it that don't really make sense on their own and they're chipping away at it all the way through the show then the last five to ten minutes all of those things come full circle linked together and there's the big reveal of what's going on i absolutely adore that kind of thing that kind of well that fits in because of this oh that thing we've seen 20 times this episode all of a sudden now we know what it is it's just so clever so brilliantly performed by capaldi he is just masterful in this episode because he's on his own isn't he you get little cameos from from clara and then you get the big smelly dressing gang monster but (laughs) that aside he's on his todd for the whole show and he is fantastic yeah but i think the thing is we figure it out with the doctor at no point is at no point is the audience any wiser as to what's going on. Mm-hmm. You learn, you know exactly what the doctor is because, like I say, it's just him. We're, we're we're part of his process. We're along for the ride. Yeah. You know, the logical process, finding out what's going on. But it's like you say, you know, what is this creature? It's okay. It's from his nightmares. Who sent? You know, why is it there? What's the end game of this? Oh, that it needs confessions. Why does it need confessions? Is it, and then you're, oh, well, it's an interrogation chamber. Mm. But then stuff like when he dives out the window and hits the water, comes up and he finds a fresh, fresh clo- dry clothes and boots. Well, how did they get there? Yeah. It's- we don't know. You know, where did the skull come from? You know, I just, and then we find out he's in a loop. Yeah. An endless loop of death and of a copy of him being sent through. Because he's just atoms lost in in the teleport, and using the, the using the trap against him, you know, so using the trap against itself to then just proceed through to punch his way through what was it twenty feet of something that's oh, a thousand times harder than diamond, all while telling that story about the the little bird that sharpens its beak on the mountain made of diamonds. And that, that, again, is something else that's amazing because it, each time he gets uh, another word out because he's got an, another sort of half a yard into the... It's just so cleverly structured all the way through, isn't it? And it gives you the timings as well. You know, he gets out of, I've gone forward in time about 7,000 years. Mm. And he goes 7,000 years, 15,000 years, 100,000 years, 200,000 years, all the way up to a billion years and, and beyond. Mm. and he finally gets you know I'd say that's a hell of a bird and he gets that final punch and he's through and he's out and the big reveal that he's they've made a big deal in the previous episode or maybe a couple of episodes about his confession dial which is basically his last will and testament so he's been caught in his own confession dial and he's on Gallifrey yeah he you know he's there and is there saying to you know saying to him saying you know tell them I'm tell them I'm back and I've you know I've come the long way around I know what they did and the next episode after that he, he carries on being that badass yeah and it's just like it, but he, he goes and not to spoil it in case we get to it, a great put you know at any point but the whole thing one of the big things about the the modern who is that he should know the doctor should never be left alone for too long mm-hmm. and. 
Clara makes a point of asking him how long were you in there? Because he, you know, he does what he's going to always going to do. He tries to find a way to save her. Yeah. She says, "How long were you in there?" And he won't tell her. So the Time Lords tell us about uh, just over two billion years. They've been waiting for his confession and waiting to find out what this creature, the hybrid, is. Mm. And it's, it's just, just like, oh, so so, so good. good. Layers upon layers upon layers, and, and all done. I mean, human nature, a family of blood. I was singing the praises of that because of the relationships with, and the actors and the characters and all the different speeches and different dialogues. Heaven sent in a way is exactly the opposite because it's one bloke. Yeah. So it's, it's funny how those two are my top two, but they're so different, but equally brilliant in their own way. Yeah. It, it shows the, the range of this show that we love. Mm. In fact, this list in itself, you know, it, it goes from the dramatic, the heart and the heart wrenching to the ridiculous. It goes yeah. from Capaldi on his own, figuring out, you know, taking us along for the ride, figuring out this this death trap to the absolute madness of, of happiness patrol, you know, to to Whitaker and Whitaker Yaz, um Graham and Ryan trying to take down space Amazon. Mm. <laughs> well, let's, let's, let's quickly recap then, I guess, Dan, before we depart today, uh, do you want to just run down your 14 from 14 to one? And I've broken each episode down, just run down in a sort of chart format, I guess, my friend. Yeah. So starting from 14, working my way up to one, uh, 14 is the awakening with Peter Davison. 13 is unearthly child with William Hartnell. 12 is Kablam, Jodie Whittaker. 11, Terror of the Zygons, Tom Baker. 10, Happiness Patrol with Sylvester McCoy. 9, Planet of the Daleks, John Pertwee. 8, Enemy of the World, Patrick Troughton. 7, The Three Doctors. 6, Vengeance on Varos with Colin Baker. 5, The Empty Child and the Doctor Dances, Christopher Eccleston. 4, Human Nature, Family of Blood, David Tennant. Third, Five Doctors. Second, Asylum of the Daleks with Matt Smith. And number one, Heaven Sent with Peter Capaldi. What a list. Just so many great shows. Uh, mine sounds kind of like this. Uh, 14, An Unearthly Child with William Hartnell. 13, The Awakening with Peter Davidson. 12, Sylvester McCoy's The Happiness Patrol. 11, John Pertwee with The Planet of the Daleks. 10, Colin Baker and Vengeance on Barros. Number 9, quite low, I guess, looking now, maybe. Matt Smith, Asylum of the Daleks. Number 8, Enemy of the World, Patrick Drayton. Number 7, The Three Doctors. Number 6, Terror of the Zygons, with Tom Baker. Number 5, The Five Doctors. And my top 4 is incredibly New Who heavy, with 4 being the Jodie Whittaker story, Kablam. 3 being Christopher Eccleston's two-parter, The Empty Child and The Doctor Dances, number two being David Tennant's Human Nature and Family of Blood, and number one, matching up with my good buddy here, Dan, Heaven Sent with Peter Capaldi. We may have only got three the same, but I'm glad we got the top one the same. Yeah, yeah, and me. Yeah, we weren't far off with others either, were we? There were some in very, very similar areas. Yeah, only one space uh, difference between Davison and uh, Peter Davison and William Hartnell episodes. Um, just I'm going to run through, obviously we've got seven and eight, completely identical 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, not too far apart. Most of the most divisive one is um, is Jodie Whittaker. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, Tom Baker, there was a good few spaces between us both there. But again, the funny thing about these episodes is I don't think either of us ever go away entirely happy with the order we've given. No, that's (laughs) it. (laughs) So if if anybody were to message us and just be like, wow, how did you put this above that? I would just be like, I don't know, because I can see how you got there. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, mate. Exactly. Uh, so that is the end of our second season, the end of season two of the Doctor Who pod. Uh, we will be back with season three in a few weeks time. We're going to have a little bit of a, a break, I guess, a break to you wonderful people who listen to our show. But we're still going to be ferreting and working away behind the scenes. So we'll be back in a few weeks time. Uh, keep an eye out on all of our social medias on Facebook, Twitter, etc. for news on that. And with season three, Dan, we're going to do something slightly different, aren't we, with regards to how we pick the episodes? We are, yes. We're still going to have the same um, the same amount of episodes. Uh, we're going to run with the sort of fourteen episode format for as long as we can uh, until we run out of Christopher Eccleston episodes, essentially. Yes. <laughs> um, but uh, we're going to have guests, so every sort of third episode next season is going to be uh, is going to be a guest on, and the guests have picked their doctors. Uh, they're gonna they're sort of locked in, and around that we are gonna do a random number draw to determine the order of the episode. So we won't be going necessarily going classic who knew who classic who knew who or anything like that. It's gonna be a random number draw to determine which episode uh, which Doctor we get, and we'll have to pick an episode based off that. So we'll be doing a uh, I suppose a little bit of a draft episode. Um, as we go through, uh, which could be entertaining because with a random number generator, we're obviously going to be including the numbers of the doctors um, that are already taken. So there could be uh, a lot of uh, a lot of confusion and idiocy because if uh, season two is anything to go by, I can't pick a running order for shit. <laughs> Oh, mate, I have had an absolute blast again, as I did with our first season. I've had an absolute blast of our second season. Uh, Most importantly, though, I want to just extend a huge thank you to everybody who has listened to the show, everybody who's tweeted the show or messaged the show with feedback, everybody who has shared any links to get other people involved as well. I, I just think it's fantastic that you got two two sweaty fat idiots in the UK talking about a, a 900 year old alien in a blue box, and people actually want to listen to what we have to say. Dan, it's it's fantastic. So I couldn't thank everyone out there who's ever retweeted, messaged the show, listened, or anything like that. I can't thank I can't thank you enough. Yeah, absolutely. I've got to echo that, mate. Thank you to everybody who listens. So, yeah, on a personal note as well, just want to say thank you to our guests from uh, from this season, uh, to uh, to Gary, to Matt Willis, uh, Marty, and Rob. Thank you so much, guys. Uh, it was so much fun talking to you, and I'm uh, I'm really excited to get into next season uh, with uh, with a new rotation of guests. Exactly, and I'll tell you what's amazing to me: we've got people already asking to be guests on season four. I don't even know if we're going to make a season four. We'll have to see how we get off. <laughs> <laughs> the next, uh, the next ranking episode, we might argue a bit more. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Dan, do you want to let everybody know whereabouts they can find you, your social media links, and all the shows you are involved in, my friend? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at DanGriffin21. Uh, usually talking some bollocks about uh, movies that are twenty-five years out of date or wrestling that's a minimum six weeks out of date. 
I'm never up to date on anything, to be honest, so why break the <laughs> habit of a lifetime? Uh, you can hear me on Unbooking the Territory. Uh, you can find us by searching all podcast platforms for that. Uh, you can find that show on Twitter at UTT Podcast, and you can find us on Unbooking the Tankatory, which is a side project all about Tank Abbott. Fantastic stuff. Fantastic. Uh, you can find me online at SJP Words, but also, well, more importantly, really, you can find the network at SJP World Media on Facebook and Twitter. And there you will get the links to the main feed of the network where all episodes from all the shows drop uh, on various days. There's, there's new shows, new content pretty much every day of the week for you there covering stuff like this doctor who covering quantum leap i was recording the waiting room with benny mac literally today that's coming back very very soon we have plenty of wrestling you know whether it's modern day wrestling again with benny mac or the guys from the states from rsh wrestling podcast there or looking back on older stuff with nitro nights nxt rise and fall with joshua goodwin there's loads there chain wrestling all sorts more new shows coming as well people are constantly contacting me saying what about this what about that it's great i mean the way the way the networks took off has been it's amazing to me it really is absolutely amazing but most importantly you can find this show on facebook and twitter at the doctor who pod that's at the dr who pod at the doctor who pod make sure you're following there and on facebook as well because that's where you're going to get little updates over the next couple of weeks as to when we're coming back because you ain't gonna get rid of us that easily no, you're not. We're like a bad smell. We'll always keep coming back, and we're with Gallifrey FM coming in your ears. <laughs> uh, I've had a blast, Dan. I will speak to you again very, very soon, my friend. It's been awesome, mate. Catch you soon. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening. Fucking up. Well, I'll tell you what, let's just get into it now. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll start us off. Yeah. <coughs> if I've got COVID, <laughs> if I've got COVID again, I'm going to kick Lib's ass. No, you're not. No, you're right. I'm not. I'm too much of a soft touch, and she's probably harder than me. So. <laughs> Even with one good luck. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <clears throat> Cast okay. right up your ass. God, I was alright till I press record. Oh dear. Yeah. You, you get used to it working with you, mate, I tell you. <laughs> ultimate professional. I am. I, I, ultimate. I say that I say that like I do anything other than turn up and take the piss. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. Um <laughs> you're the eye candy Dan. Well uh, on an audio Jesus. podcast. <laughs> I, in terms of if you mean that I that if you look at me you think, yeah, that's a lot of Haribo. <laughs> Uh, 14, An Unearthly Child with William Hartnell. 13, Patrick Triton. No, fuck, I'll do that again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that episode title, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, he kept um, making loads and loads of errors, and that's what Triton said the whole way through. The script was quite I'm, limited, to be fair. 
I remember <laughs> Ush, I remember her shit bollocks with uh, Tom Baker. <laughs> Yeah, it's a good story. Uh, <laughs> uh. And uh, a big thank you, just on a personal note, to uh, to our guests from this series, uh, to Gary, uh, Matt Willis. Um, so why I can't remember anybody's names now. Please cut this bit out. <laughs> Gary, Matt. <laughs> I'm just blanking go completely. End. This is on the end of the episode. You know that. I can smell my tea cooking. I'm, I'm distracted by lamb shanks. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie Mum there probably <laughs> I, heard, I heard I think I what she was saying <laughs> it'll be about an hour <laughs> ah okay <laughs> right. right it was Gary Matt was Gary Matt Willis Marty and Rob <laughs> yes Wait, Rob I can, how can you forget Rob you record with him like twice a week <laughs> I was I was pissed when we did our episode okay <laughs> <laughs> when, when you when, when you were there yeah I wasn't there <laughs> oh dear um, so yeah, on a personal note as well, just want to say thank you to our guests. Uh, we will be back with season three in a few weeks' time. We're going to have a little bit of a, a break, I guess. But well, a break to you. A little, I'll do that again as well. <laughs>